So we're continuing where we left off. It is November 10th, 2019. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. So go right ahead, Bill. So the thought of the week. Mm -hmm. God cares what his creatures think. We are dealing with a God who is not aloof or arbitrary, but he is absolutely concerned and engaged. He cares about what is right and also doing things the right way. He is concerned that creatures know about his righteous character and motives. God is immutable and cannot relax his love for righteousness. His justice executes what his righteousness demands. God is sovereign over all his creation. His creation exists in him and therefore is subject to him. Whether we like it or not, we have to answer to God. He created us, and we are not independent of him. On the contrary, he is the very source of our life. When God reveals his plan of reconciliation, it was an act of worthy of admiration and praise. However, the plan is not the end of the story. The plan was only a component part of the eternal grand purpose of God to bring many sons into glory. In the process of his plan, much will be revealed of God that was never that has never been known. God does not conceal his eternal intentions anymore. In this unique age, he reveals his heart and in fact quite transparent to us. So we thank God that he has given us the ability to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by simply believing on him, looking totally away from ourselves and depending on what God did on the cross for our salvation. And then we can also share in the enormous plan of his eternal purpose. At this time, we'll have Dwight. All right, thank you, Bill. And before I go ahead with the prayers, are there any special requests? Yeah, we're going to pray for my uh, sister, Cheryl. She has a touch of dementia. Hmm. Yeah, myself and my family, Dwight. All right. Yes, also um, myself and and family as well with the kids. And I know Dave's uh, daughter has a new baby. And, uh, Dave, could you tell us what the baby's name is? Oh, David. That's right. Oh, the baby's name is David. Yes, I remember now. <laughs> I remember now. Sorry. <laughs> David. And so, uh, also my extended family and, and their children and traveling mercies as well for all of us. Thanks.
pray for all of us um, on this call and, and the family and kids that um, we have in our lives, um, including Dave's daughter's son, David, and um, pray for uh, traveling mercies and also the persecuted Christian church worldwide, wherever they may be. Um, we know that your spirit is alive and powerful and working in the hearts of those that we don't know about, but you do. And we pray that you would steer the eyes of our hearts toward your word and understanding the riches of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Many thanks to White and Bill. We're going to take this time to move forward into John chapter 14 and verse 2 today. It reads, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Uh, in your notes, hopefully you have. Someone once said, A promise is only as strong as the one making it. The promise here is very strong. All of us who are believers in the world, in this world, should take a deep breath, exhale, and know that no matter what happens to us in this world, there is going to be a special place for us in the Father's house. The knowledge is also confirmed here. Quote, uh, for we know that if, our earthly, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.1. The last thing Jesus wanted to do here is to overpromise to some upset and unstable disciples. This is an object lesson to us. In our consolation of those in distress, it is important to tell the truth. Often our object is to comfort at any cost, even if it involves stretching and twisting the truth. For us, the truth is glorious and our future is certain. Do not suppress this information from those who desperately need it. So we're going to take some time to look at uh, some of these phrases in this verse today. And we might as well just jump right in. So the first one is, my father's house has many rooms. So the first thought is, Jesus continues with the thought that there are solid reasons for them to not be upset. Hence, to not let your hearts be troubled, neither... Uh, be afraid he continues with the thought and we've said this last week and I need to say it again that what really does comfort us here is the word of God it, letting us in on what God is thinking uh, knowing that God's plan for us for our future our destiny certain, it's sure, it's solid. And then, no matter what is going on here in the world, I mean, no matter what difficulties or persecutions or opposition we face, it's okay. Because God has it all in his plan. This is part of it. And I like what it says in wanted a versing, knowing that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces hope and hope does not make us ashamed. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit. So we're not to always look at things that are negative to us as bad and oh my gosh, what could have happened here? Oh, every, the train has gone off the rails here. But it, it is to stop sometimes, take a breath when those things happen, and just remember that God is in control. And uh, 
things that are happening here may appear to be negative. And, but remember, we have a mission and God wants us to be on point when it comes to that. So that's the first thought. Jesus continues with that thought, right? There's solid reasons for them to get a hold of themselves, to get a grip. Point B, the construction of this verse is very interesting. It's interesting to me is that it implies that Jesus taught this to the disciples in the past. When we look at uh, my father's house has many rooms, right? If that were not so, would I have told you I'm go going there to prepare a place for you? That sounds like it's a conversation that is reminding them of a previous conversation or teaching that was expressed. So hopefully you can see that the disciples uh, are, are reviewing these things. Sometimes even though they heard things, they didn't really regard them. They didn't pay much attention to the things they heard. And often it was because, uh, you know, they weren't, you know, it wasn't in their theology. So they disregarded it. <coughs> and as a result of that, it caused them many troubles down the road. So a lot of the troubles ha came because of their unbelief. And one of the times when Jesus uh, went out and they were on the Sea of Galilee and there was a big storm that came up and they did everything they could to control, <laughs> control the storm only to fail and to realize that the storm was way more powerful than them, even to the point where they concluded that they were going to all die. And they saw Jesus sleeping in the boat and said, don't you even care? Didn't even say, Jesus, wake up and help us. They said, don't you even care? We're going to perish, and you're going to you're at you're sleeping. <coughs> Excuse me. That was the thought, and wow, Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind and the storm, the raging storm. If you've ever been in a boat and you've seen the waves and all that, wow, what power that must have! A person must have to to be in control over those things. And then he tells the disciples, oh, ye of little faith. I mean, this is the whole idea. Because of that, we get ourselves into so much trouble in this world. So, as I say, take a breath. Uh, so, in this context, that's what that tells me, that the conversation is something that was a context for them. So, and then there's the last point in this point B is just as a reminder, just a reminder that what we find in the context is the record, but not every conversation. So if we were to think that, <clears throat> that all Jesus said to them was just the words that we find in scripture and that he didn't have a broader conversation with them or just more teaching that and the Holy Spirit decided to take what we have in front of us, as we say the Word of God, to give us the understanding of what Jesus said and what he meant and all that. We have what he said and meant. But I don't think we should think that every conversation with Jesus and every word that is with Jesus and all of that is recorded for us. Sure, Jesus taught them many other things. Sure, he continued to remind them. Like it says in Matthew 16, from that point forward, Jesus began to teach his disciples about what was to come. It didn't mean he only said it right here. He began to teach them. He was a teacher. He was using object lessons and nature and commerce and uh, agriculture and all kinds of things to teach. So this is interesting to me that uh, we ought to know that when we approach that. So when we find a, a verse that seems like it has some preceding context, accept it. It's okay to accept it. As, okay, this is something he's reminding them of. 
let's move forward. We'll see more of that later. Point C. So, in my father's house are ha, has many rooms. So it has many rooms. The the word there in Greek is mone. Uh, and here are some of the meanings that we find uh, in scripture: astain, abiding, dwelling, abode, or dwelling places. We've seen to make in to make one's abode metaphorically of God the Holy Spirit indwelling believers. All that comes from Thayer. But just to note, from Strong, uh, that's where Strong actually translates this, a mansion. He, he uses all those other definitions as well, sort of. But he also includes this one that I find a bit curious, a mansion. So could it refer to a mansion? Does, you know, is a word for an affluent uh, abode or something? Uh, or is he using that word as an interpretation of the context? The Father's house, obviously heaven is rich, and then if there's places up there, then those places must be grand. So the King James uses the word mansion. Is it wrong to use that word? I don't think so. If you want to, that's okay. But I would say... Make sure we understand what's actually being said here. So this is the point of why we're going through the verses. In my father's house, my father's house has many rooms. Uh, we, if we wanted to say many mansions, what are mansions? Mansions are places. And that brings us to the next point of this is this is language of accommodation. It's, what do we mean? It's used to describe heaven, uh, what heaven is like. Uh, be prepared to be utterly surprised when we get home. So just, just to note, when I say this, I'm making a statement. It is language of accommodation. None of us will know what heaven is like. And if you think it's like being in some mansion, I think that's wrong. I think... If you use the word mansion, it means a place of affluence, a rich wealth. And this is what maybe the writer or the person who used that interpretation wanted to convey. But I'm thinking heaven is like something we've never seen. Heaven is not like earth. I wouldn't imagine heaven is like earth. I would imagine it's something beyond, just as God is so much, so far beyond us. The third heaven, what must that be like? I can't imagine it's like a mansion, maybe in some ways. But if the writer thought to use that, okay. So that's language of accommodation. And my last comment there was be prepared be utterly surprised. And when we get to heaven, <laughs> I think, one, you're going to find it like home. It, you're going to realize that this is exactly what I was made for. I fit here. Not only that, I belong here. This place completes me. This place is worthy of who I am. It expresses the things that feel and make me have the confidence of comfortability. And so when we design something, <clears throat> imagine if heaven is, if the third heaven is, is going to fit us like a glove, then we must imagine that uh, God created us for that. And some of the terms, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for us. But the homeliness of heaven is part of our renewing of our minds before we'll ever be able to understand and, and sink our teeth into the things that God is talking about here. We have to renew our minds. We have to be transformed into his image, right? That gives us the new uh, man, which, which is inside of us. 
So, so that's the thought. It's language of accommodation. Even though he's talking about his father's house, we're, we, what we want to do is derive from this what is Jesus talking about here. He's saying these words in comfort to the disciples who are upset. He's helping them understand that, yes, there are many places, many rooms, many mansions, however you want to say it. There's many spaces up there. So not to worry. If there's no place left for you down here because your body cannot sustain anymore, there's many places for you in heaven, in heavenly places, as we say. So let's continue with the thought. We'll let Jesus break it out and, and build it out. Point two, if that were not so, is the next phrase. So it goes like this. Uh, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so. So the first point is, according to Jesus, the disciples should have already known this information and made appropriate applications. Why would it not be so? It is sure. <laughs> so uh, for him to raise the question like this, and then remember in the King James uh, translation, there were words added to make this out to be not a question, but a more of a statement of fact. I think it went something like this. Uh, well, let me just see if I can read the old King James Version. I have it right here, so I'll just read it. So in verse 2 it says, uh, In my father's house are many mansions. If that were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So what is happening here is that some of the words that were used in the King James Version were used as uh, words to complete the sentence and how they thought the sentence should go. So some of the words that were not found in the text are, uh, if, well, let me just see. In my father's house are many mansions. If, it should have just jumped to, if not. But the King James said, it were, if it were not. The it were is added. And the so is added. Where they get the, if the so, it says, I would have told you, right? If it were not so, I would have told you. That sounds like, listen. I'm telling you this, and I wouldn't tell you otherwise. Uh, if it were not this, I wouldn't tell you this. But let's see the difference when we add what the context actually says. And it's more like this. I'm going back to the NIV. It's more like this. My father's house has many rooms, many places. If that were not so, and then he... It's sort of because those words are left out, they raise a question in the minds of the reader. It should. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Question mark. So the King James doesn't have it as a question. It has it as a statement of fact. But what Jesus is doing here is checking the disciples. He's saying to them, remember the previous conversations I've been telling you about. Would I have told you all that if it were not true? You think about it. I just, he's, he's making them recall previous conversations that they had. And he's saying to them, remember what we talked about. All that I told you would I have told you that if, if, it, if these things were not true? That's the thought here. Now, is it a problem if we see it both ways, like the King James, if you're stuck to say, oh, the King James has to be the way it is? I'm not, I don't have a problem. I think the King James does express the thought. I think there's a slight difference when you make this a question because it is not a statement of fact. Uh, if you... You know, if going back to our notes, I will try to bring that thought out. Right? So, point B, 
let's go back to the notes. For sure, a place is there for them too. It is often the case that emotion clouds the reality we know. Fear and anxiety can cripple uh, spiritual logic. Right? So this is to say, when people are afraid, sometimes they forget. Sometimes it's not clear what is the thinking that should stabilize their souls. So there is a place for there, uh, there for them too. That's the thought. Right? They, Jesus is trying to let them know that I'm sure a place is there. You should be sure. I don't know why your thinking has all of a sudden uh, went off the rails, but remember, and that's what happens when emotion comes in, just know. And drawing of doctrinal conclusions. So emotion, fear, anxiety will stop us in our tracks from uh, coming to logical conclusions about doctrine. Don't be surprised. Uh, a good analogy here is, you know, public speaking. And sometimes when you're public speaking, you have to really speak to yourself. You have to really see it as a story that you're telling to yourself. Because sometimes with the audience and the eyes looking at you and all that, the fear just can overwhelm you. So you have to keep thinking, what is the story? What is the line? What is the thought I'm trying to get across here? What is the point? And if you, you can think of it in those terms, sometimes it makes you draw back on what you do know. The disciples were upset. There's no doubt about it. And it caused them grief. So, <clears throat> they should have already known this information. They should have made the applications. They didn't. Um, and part of the understanding here is, is not to say, boy, those disciples were sure dull. But it is a human thing. And I think all of us can learn from this. We shouldn't. Just read through the Gospels and come away with, man, those disciples were sure dumb. And if I was there, I certainly wouldn't have said that. And they, they sure missed it, right? We can, from hindsight and from a spiritual understanding, right? we see the spiritual reality here. We can make those assumptions so easily. But if you stop and think back to when you didn't understand, the spiritual reality, then you are in the shoes of the disciples. You're going to be making false applications because in your head is going to be a different theology, a different way of thinking about things. So Jesus is constantly trying to teach them and give them, you know, the understanding of this new spiritual reality. All right, so we're continuing. Point C. The disciples cannot follow Jesus now but they will clearly come later. This is comforting assurance that they will see Jesus again. Now, uh, remember, Jesus says uh, he started in John 13, chapter 13 toward the end, talking about, um, I'm going, just as I told the Jews, I'm going to tell you now, I'm going away, where, I go, where I'm going, you cannot come. So, and he said some other things, and then he, Peter comes in and says, well, what do you mean we can't come? Tell us, what, what is this? And then Jesus explains, well, you can't come now, but later you can come. You will come later. So when we get, what we get from that, they can't follow Jesus now, but later they will come, and Jesus will come again, as we know, and he would take them to be with him where he is. So it's comforting assurance again that they will see Jesus. And part of it is when I look at 1 Thessalonians 4, I'm going to go to that verse, which is a very common verse to all of us. 1 Thessalonians 4, we can start at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, 
so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So why do I want to read this? Because it fits exactly with what is going on in our context. The disciples are grieving. They're upset at what Jesus said. They don't understand. So what does this verse say? I don't want you to be ignorant and uninformed about those who sleep in death. That is the point. Right. Well, Jesus is going away. They don't understand why or what the situation is. They will literally have to leave as well. And it's, as, as we know, looking back on it, it is through death that they leave. All the, the disciples leave in death. So, so that we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So the hope here is the understanding of what God's plan is, what our eternal destiny is, what our eternal future. And the hope here is elpis, which means it's absolute confidence. And certainly the rest of mankind, what is the rest of mankind? Those who are not believers, those who don't understand the Father's plan, they don't know what their destiny is. They have no hope. So it's interesting that verse sort of characterizes what happens. That grieving is not based on reality. Suppose Jesus had told us all the things of our destiny as believers, and we know. But then, when we see people who are departing this life to the next, you know, they start grieving in such a manner that's sometimes inconsolable. They, no matter what, they just as though they don't understand what happened, that that person has passed from out of the body and face to face with the Lord. So it's a very similar circumstance. People can, even though they're believers, they can lose it. So that's why this verse is here. I don't want you to be like those who have no hope, because you could be uninformed. You could be not sure. Right? In this case, Jesus is going to fill in all those blanks for us. He's told us about the Father's house. He said, listen, you, that's where you belong. That's where you should be when, as soon as you depart this body. This is what's going to happen to you. And the rest of this also is, for we believe, and he's, he tells them now, Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise First, after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I read all that to get to that last verse, verse 18, because here it is. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There it is. So getting back to our notes, just to know this is part of what happened here to the disciples. They needed this encouragement. Are those words true that uh, Paul just said there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Yeah. Yeah, they're absolutely true. What are they given for us to, to, to know? The, to have insurance, right? To to know and not be ignorant of what's going to happen. The insurance part is the hope that we should have as believers in this world. So no matter what happens, as I said in the opening, no matter what, we should know that we have a home right? and is not built by human hands. It's eternal in the heavens. This is part of our destiny as believers. Don't allow fear 
worry, anxiety about your current circumstances to uh, cripple, to short-circuit your hope. Right? So the disciples needed to understand that, okay, you're not going to come now, but you're going to come later. I will come and I will receive you to myself. We didn't get to that promise yet. It's coming, at least in the context. But remember... The disciples probably had this information, this teaching before. So, uh, just to know. So, we're going to keep moving, right? So, in my father's house, it has many rooms. If that were not so, and we're getting to the next phrase, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Would I have? The first thought is no. (laughs) Jesus would not have told us that if it were not so. He would not have told us that. So his logic to, to, to answer his rhetorical question, right? That's what it is, is you're supposed to already know the answer to this. You're not supposed to wonder if Jesus would have told us that. You know, of course, we know uh, he wouldn't have told us that there was some place in heaven if there really wasn't. He's saying, there is absolutely a place. Would I have told you all that before if there wasn't a place? No, I would have never done that to you. Jesus is relying on the fact that he has told the disciples the truth. That's interesting. He's a truthful talker. He's a, he's. he's telling them the truth all the time. Anytime he's teaching them, he's telling them the truth. He's not embellishing, not exaggerating the point. He's not using hyperbole. He's telling them straight. If it were not that, wouldn't I have told you that? Then I'm going there to prepare a place for you? No, I'm telling you that because it's the truth. I'm telling you that's the plan. That's in the plan. Right? For... It's not something that happened on the fly and then we have to, uh, you know, come back and, and put it together, put the pieces back together. This is in the plan. So point B, so, so when Jesus tell, uh, tells his disciples this, we can infer that he did from this statement. What can we infer, infer he did from this statement? You may have to correct your notes here. Um, should be, what can we infer he did from this statement, especially since it is one of assurance to the disciples. Right? So we, we can make some, imp- some inferences, is what I'm trying to say here in the notes, that Jesus is clear about what he taught them. This is what I said that Jesus m- must have had previous conversations with the disciples around this point. Now, we're not talking about uh, a few days of Jesus talking to the disciples. We're talking about a, a few years of Jesus being around the disciples and teaching them. That's a lot different. When we read the Bible and realize that it, we can read the New Testament I mean the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Gospels, we could read them probably would take us, we could literally do it in a day. Even if you didn't force yourself and say, okay, I'm going to read Matthew and Mark in one sitting and come back tomorrow and read Luke and John in the next. That wouldn't take us very long. A couple days at the most, not even a couple days. We could do it all in one day. And to say all that happened in three years of Jesus teaching the disciples, it demands that we know that we only have the short version of what Jesus said. What do we have? We have what Jesus wanted us to know, what God wanted us to, to know, so that we could use that to, for doctrine, for the understanding of what is actually have been said here. In, in all of that three years of teaching. So there are things that we can, we can infer 
and this is not to add to the Word of God, because we don't know. We're not making up things that should have been in, that we feel like should have been in the Word, but we're using what is said so that it helps us understand what the conversation has been. Right. So that's that's point B. My question is, if Jesus is saying, "What I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you," so so. When did Jesus tell the disciples this? When did he say that to them? It is not right there in the immediate context. We, so obviously, he said it somewhere else. For him to use it that way. And I think because it's not in the immediate context, King James tried to fix it so that it is part of the narrative. But it is not. He told it to him, and then he raised the question as a reminder, hey, don't you remember I taught you this? If I, if I, if this weren't true, and you're supposed to make application to this, why would I have taught it so many times in the past? It's sort of the question to them. So that was the question. When did he tell the disciples? It's not in the immediate context, so that means we have to make some inferences. So Jesus going there to prepare a place, uh, this implies that there is not already a place. This is point C. If he's going there to prepare a place for them, obviously there has to be some preparation needed in order for that place to be ready. It reminds me of the... Uh, Hebrews passage, Hebrews 10, 5, where it says, a body you have prepared for me. So Jesus speaking from heaven says, a body is prepared. It is made ready. So, but in this case, Jesus is going there to prepare a place for us. It's not past that is done it is present and that it is ongoing. He is preparing a place for us. So that means it's not there already. And we already looked at Monet, which is, you know, in my father's house are many rooms, places, right? That's what that word is. Uh, but a place, he says, but I am going there to prepare a place for you. So a place is topas or tapas. And this is what uh, it says in there. A place, any portion of space marked off, as it were, surrounding space. One is an inhabited place as a city, village, district. One be a place uh, like a passage in a book. Uh, two, metaphorically. 2A, it could be used metaphorically, and 2A, uh, the condition uh, or station held by one, any company or assembly. Uh, 2B is opportunity, power, occasion for acting. So there are ways that word can be used in scripture, but Jesus is using it in the special way, obviously. Uh, point E, preparing a place. And this is out of existing space. There is a specific place for us. Now think about it. If, he's, if Jesus is saying, in my father's house, there's many places there. He could have said, why don't you just occupy one of those places? As we're getting ready to try to take that whole thought apart. This is I'm just giving you some context so you can understand where I'm going with this. So this preparing a place, meaning... It, was, it wasn't existing. It is obviously some action, some work that has to go on in order to make this place ready. There are some implications. Let's look. One, first, who can possibly know about heaven and what is there? That's a good question. We'll see if we can get Jesus to answer that. And if I go to John chapter 3... And we look at verses 11 and 12. Uh, yeah, so very, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, 
but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying there that he understands what's in heaven. Jesus has been to heaven. He understands what's there. This is the man, Jesus, obviously speaking to us from his understanding that he, he's not just his understanding of his birth in Bethlehem and his being raised in Nazareth and growing up. He's on earth. He's under, he's understands who he is. He understands his calling from eternity past. And he understands his destiny. So Jesus is qualified to speak to us in this manner. It's like it says in John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word himself was God. All things were made by him, not anything made that has been made. Right? He made everything there is. So this point here is important for us to note. But Jesus is qualified to talk to us about heavenly places. He's the God-man. Not just man, he's the God-man. And he speaks to us from different vantage points, as we shall see. One other example is John eight fifty eight. Before Abraham was, I am, he says. Of course, they didn't understand that, so they quickly picked up stones to kill him for thinking that he was committing some sort of blasphemy. But uh, Jesus can speak from these different perspectives, and he did. So anyway, point number two, the many rooms. Other saints from all time are currently in heaven. And this is Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Uh, those Old Testament believers are there now, temporarily. That's what I believe. I believe that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, we see, and I think I should turn to it, why not? Ephesians chapter eight, uh, 4, 8 through 10 says, this is why it says, this is verse 8, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So this is, uh, we believe that this scripture is a reference to when Jesus ascended, right? he took many captives. What captives did he take? Those who were in paradise. Paradise was a part of Hades in uh, what we have read. Uh, there was several compartments in Hades. And as we know from the study of Revelation, there are parts in Hades called the abyss, um, uh, the Gehenna. Uh, these are were Lazarus, we have the rich man and Lazarus uh, story that Jesus gave. Talking about the rich man uh, went to heaven, uh, I'm sorry, to, uh, to hell or Hades, and so did Lazarus. Lazarus was in one place there, the rich man was in another. So we know that there are different areas, and so the area that is paradise uh, was moved to uh, heaven when Jesus ascended. And we know that he is referring to captives here. So, so what does ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? This lower earthly regions is where, uh, I'm characterizing as the Hades here, just says the lower earthly regions. He descended is the very one is is the one who ascended. He who, who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ, and then he gives gifts to men. Uh, so those verses, you know, when we take those apart, help us understand that this many rooms is that the Old Testament believers, we believe, is they are no longer in paradise and in the lower regions of the earth, they have been translated to heaven. 
And, and where are they in heaven? Moses, Elijah, you know, Daniel, all these Old Testament believers, David. I could mention so many more. These are just the names that you ought to know. These believers were moved to heaven. That's where they are now. But I say temporarily. And we'll talk about that more later. Uh, so point number three. Our place is not among the exist, existing spaces, or monae, which talks about there are many rooms or mansions in the Father's house. It is being prepared, topas, now. Right? So, so this, obviously, if it's not from the existing place, then it is something other than those places that have already, uh, are already there. And it is clear that places are already there. He said it. In my father's house, it didn't say there is one place. There are many places. So those Old Testament saints have a place in heaven right now. It's only temporary. They're going to come back to the earth. Uh, but if he's going there to prepare a place, that means the place isn't there yet for us. And it has yet to be uh, made. Point four. Why not just allow us to have the same space that all Old Testament saints occupy. Now, why not just, why say this in the first place? Why, why not just give us some of the places that's up there? There's many places. And I say the Old Testament saints will be resurrected on the earth. And the scripture for that is Revelation 20, 4 through 6. I know we're getting into a lot of doctrinal things. Don't Please try to stay with me. Don't get too distracted by all this. Uh, Revelation 20. There is a point to make. Revelation 20, 4 through 6. I'll start. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, that's resurrection, and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So these are the tribulational martyrs, the saints that were going out throughout the tribulation uh, and they valiantly fought in the tribulation and they survived. Uh, we know it's supernatural how they survived and it says they came to life at the end of the tribulation for, and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Then at verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So there's going to be another resurrection of people after the thousand year period. This is the first resurrection. Sounds confusing. I already talked about two people resurrecting. We could say first, second, third, but no. Just understand that all of these resurrections of the righteous are part of the first resurrection. So the first resurrection has stages. We could say stage one, Christ. Stage two, the church. We have already been resurrected by this time. Stage three, uh, tribulational martyrs. Stage four, uh, all of the rest of the dead who are believers. Right? How do we know that? Right. So in the next verse, verse six, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Right? All of those. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests uh, of God and Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. <clears throat> so he's still talking about the other ones, but notice he gives you good example for us to understand that we will, if you're not in the first resurrection, you're going to be in the second death, which is not good. And he continues uh, in there and we get to some verses like verse 11, where he says, uh, and they saw a great white throne and 
him who was seated on it, and the earth and heavens fled from his presence, and, and there was no place for them. And here it is, verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. This is a resurrection. This is certainly people coming to life, standing before the throne. The books were open. This is judgment. And another book was open, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So just talking resurrections, yeah, so there's going to be resurrections uh, on the earth. I'm going back to my notes now. So our place is not among the existing spaces. It's being prepared. Top us now. Now, four, point number four in my notes was why not just allow the same space that the Old Testament saints occupy now? Why not just send us on up there? Because Old Testament saints will be resurrected on the earth. That's why I said it was temporary. Uh, so you could see they're coming back to the earth. We belong in the heavens as we learned for our second corinthians chapter 5 study so point number five this specific special place is heaven for us that is the place we belong i call it specific and special specific means that it is not the earth and you could use verses like, we are, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We are not of the world. Well, it's a specific place we're from, and it's a special place. Special in that uh, this hails to the fact that God did not reveal what his plan was to bring many sons into glory. So at this time, this is God's opportunity to call those many sons out from uh, Jews and from Gentiles and that are in the world. So this is a specific and special place is heaven. That is what it is. We have a building. This is what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1b. It says, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. There, there's another way this whole thing is characterized for us not built by human hands. So we're talking about Christ going there and preparing a place for us. Now we think about, well, is there literal construction going on? Is building happening? Foundations being laid, framing, uh, roughing, and all these other things that are happening. With... No, these things are not happening. These are spiritual knowledge, things that are realities that are given language of accommodation. We are supposed to use the language to understand what God is doing in the heavens, even though we don't have a frame of reference for it. It's given us the understanding. So in this place, he's saying we have a building of God not made with human hands. So we know it's an analogy. Right? That's one thing to note. Point six. Our rightful place in heaven did not exist in the Old Testament. So just know that. This is important to know. If at the point where Jesus says, I'm going away, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Notice, his going away signaled something else. He said in another place, if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. If in another place, he said, if I don't, you should be happy that I told you I'm going away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter. Right? There are some things, he, some statements that he made. We can put those in context. So we understand that our rightful place, it was not, it did not exist in the Old Testament. Because Jesus says, I, I got to go prepare it. But what do you mean prepare it? How does that happen? I mean... The building that's going on is the calling out of those many sons in the glory. Uh, the calling out uh, where those sons are being conformed to the image of his son. 
what we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, says Romans chapter 8. So we understand now that not made with human hands. This is spiritual uh, construction that God has, uh, that he is working according to his specific plan, his special plan for us. So our rightful place in heaven did not exist in the Old Testament, but now that it is revealed, it, it, but, but now it is revealed, a clear reference, I say, to the mystery age and to our destiny. It's a clear to me telling us, listen, yeah, it wasn't before, but now this is what's going on at the current time. So hopefully those are some of the implications. Are there more? Absolutely. Is there more we can talk about? Sure. Let's, let's raise it when we have opportunity. Point F. Let's keep going. What time is it? What, what is our timing here? Oh my gosh. We are running up against... I don't want to rush through all of this, but I think... Well, let's see how it goes. We'll, we'll lay it down. Point F. The church is special here. And it's built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That's Ephesians 2.20. So this is what we mean. Built. There's some construction going on. And, and, and these verses are also uh, corroborating evidence to that extent. Right? There are things happening and we are a part of it. Was who are, Who's the building material? Jews and Gentiles. God takes that raw building material and he's making something. So point G, this special place spoken of is spoken of in other ways. Quote, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's Ephesians 2.22. We're still right there and this is to say we are the building materials right just like we said in Romans 8 God pre we were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son right uh, according to that image that pattern that is our destiny and uh, we're marked out for that cause and here this verse is saying we too are being built together so it's not about the place it's about us even though we know the place is a heavenly dwelling, right? In heavenly places, right? They're not built with hands, right? Well, so forth and so on. Point H. Jesus said it in many ways. Here's another way he said it. Quote, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. Matthew 16 18. Jesus is telling Peter about how he would, in the future, build his church. Church did not exist at that point in time. It was yet future. And we've talked about what the construction is. We've talked about what the building is. We even talked about the building materials. So, point I, one more. Yet, there is more. We will continue as Jesus consoles, confide, confides, and builds the confidence in the future of this small band of disciples. Jesus invests much in them, the foundation of the church, that is. And this is what he says in John 17, and we'll close after this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's John 17, 20 and 21. So, as we close, just to think there is something very special going on right now something that has not happened since the beginning of time. Not only is it happening uh, while we are here, it is also 
in heavenly realms and heavenly places or in the third heaven much more should be said about this this is not the last word hopefully we can get into this a little bit more later as we will in the context let's bow our heads gracious father we thank you so much for the words that you have given us not only did they encourage and console uh, not not only did they confide a special truth for us for our age but we now are the recipients we are those who have been predestined for you chose us in him for the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. So we understand uh, the calling to which we have received. And Lord, I pray that as we go forward that we would take this understanding and uh, continue to, to feast on the words that are before us. So that we can continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.